So, quick question, how many of you grew up going to cemeteries on Memorial Day and decorating graves? Show of hands, yeah. How many of you, how many of your kids do that? Show of hands, a couple, right? I was talking to my neighbor a couple days ago. Um, He's an old farmer, I live out on acreage and he's an old farmer who lives on the old farmstead and he's like, my grandkids probably aren't even gonna know where I'm buried, right? Because that's how it is, right? We used to have, make such a big deal out of cemeteries and out of decorating graves and it was a thing. And we don't do that as much anymore. Memorial Day is now the kind of the unofficial start of summer. So it winds up being this party thing, like, you know, how can we, how can we play? How can we party? It's the first day of summer. Woohoo! I think that's going to be actually worse this year, right? I think more people are going to be doing more stuff, trying to get out because we've been penned up for a couple of years. Um, point being, Memorial Day has become a lot different now than what it was originally intended for. Or let's... <laughs> It's become a lot different now than even what we remember it being when we were kids, but it's always been morphing and changing. And that's the thing that's really kind of probably forgotten and hidden. We can grump and grouse about how Memorial Day has changed just in the last couple of generations. It's always been changing. The first Memorial Day, as many of you may know, was done by the Union Army um, widows to decorate the graves of those who died in service. And there was actual, actually a, an understanding of the fact that this holiday was connected to the freeing of slaves, right? That they fought and died for the freeing of slaves. And so there was an overtone of positive race relations that was connected to the original Memorial Day holiday. Then what happened, somewhat practically, is that um, the Confederate folks were doing the same thing. And so they merged those two things together. But what was lost in that translation was all of the stuff about race relations because the Confederate folks didn't want to do that. And so again, that was a part of the perhaps scrubbing clean of race relations in that holiday. I don't know that it was a game changer, but certainly it was um, what it was. Point being that Memorial Day is always morphing and changing and evolving. Every holiday morphs and changes. There's um, a pastor who tells a story And his name is um, Stan Purdom. This is a picture of him. He's a retired United Methodist pastor and an author. He wrote kind of a short story about his experience that is very illustrative for us today. He grew up not far from Saratoga, New York. And so this is the Battle of Saratoga Monument. It was to commemorate the Battle of Saratoga in 1777 where lots of lives were lost and it was a key point in the Revolutionary War. He grew up not far from there and some of his fondest memories as a kid were getting on his bike in middle school and high school, riding over there and then climbing all of the steps to the top. You can see there are little windows up there and looking at the beautiful vistas that were there. And so when he became a husband and parent, 
and his kids were a little older. They were taking a trip across the country in an old beat up camper, I guess. And they were, um, he said, I want you to see this because this is a part of my childhood. So um, they went kind of out of their way and it took them a long time and they didn't get there until the early parts of the evening. And um, as he writes about it, the, the air conditioner had conked out in the camper. And so um, no one was happy. And um, they got to this place, it was shady finally, and a little breeze was blowing, and they get there, and he's like, all right, let's go climb some stairs. Um, That wasn't very well received. The kids were, finally, they were like, we just started a game of cards, Dad, but look at it. And they're like, stack of bricks, Dad, right? And then undaunted, he was like to his wife, he was like, come on, sweetie, let's do this. And um, back in the days before the internet and smartphones and all, she actually had a book out and she was like, I'm trying to find a campground with a pool for the kids. And he was like, but come on. And she's like, just, it's fine, you, you go, I'll just do this. So then he went. He gets to the door, no longer is it open 24-7, and they got there like a few minutes after it had closed for the day. And he was so disheartened and disappointed, and as he drove down the road, he did some serious reflection about this. And the reflection that he did actually shifted and morphed, right? Because initially it was like, I can't believe my kids, I can't believe my wife. But then he was like, yeah, but it's the same for me too. Here's the reality that Stan Purdom points to that I think is really helpful for us and poignant for us today. The farther in time you get away from any event that created a memorial, right? So the farther away you get from the memorial, the less attached you become to the actual events that caused the memorial to be built. You lose that sense. Right? The names get lost. The individual stories get forgotten. The best that you can do is to remember why they did what they did and what they were about. The values and ethics remain. But again, the stories get lost. And so then it morphs and becomes something else. And he came to that conclusion because he, so, he was so frustrated with his kids. For his kids, it was just a stack of bricks. For my wife, it was just an interruption to her planning. But then he realized that even for him, he wasn't going to the Saratoga Memorial to remember anybody who had fought at the Battle of Saratoga. He was going to try to recapture a portion of his history and what was great about his childhood. And that's not really the right reason to be there either, because that's not what the memorial is about. That memorial points to a really dark and hard time in history that people got through only with faith, courage, personal and self-sacrifice, which is based on integrity and courage. The attempt is to honor the people with that ethic who did that for us all. And that's what really needs to be remembered. And that's the hard thing, right? That's where we kind of are in these days as a nation. 
And that's where it was when Paul was writing to the people of Thessalonica, right? And the Thessalonians, um, they were concerned. See, because um, Jesus had come back, he rose from the dead, and then he said, I'll be back. And then he wasn't coming back, right? So that's the hard part. First Thessalonians, by the way, is some of the, well, it's actually the first written down piece of the New Testament. I don't know if you know that or not. It's the oldest book in the New Testament. Um, you say, well, the gospels were about Jesus. Yes, they were, but they were oral tradition. They were stories that were held within people who told the stories before they were ever written down. So the gospels were written down some oh, 30, 40, actually 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus' death. First Thessalonians, that letter, was written down about 10 years, not even, less than 10 years, eight, nine, 10 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So it's the first writings we have in the New Testament. And essentially, Jesus said, I'll be back, I'll come right back, and so everyone thought, well, he'll be here next week. Okay, no, next month. All right, a year from now. The problem was that faithful people, faithful people that they cared about started to die. And so then there was all of this concern about what happens to them. They died. Jesus said he was going to come back and redeem them. What's that look like? There was sincere, genuine concern. And to be honest with you, it was bleak. These people who taught us the faith are being lost. There was, there was just an angst. It, was, it, it felt completely hopeless. And so Paul writes into that. And what's he write? He basically writes, God's got this. Right? Don't worry about what you're seeing. God's got this. They have faith. God is faithful. And God will redeem them. Kind of, we don't know why, we don't know how, but God will redeem. And then he basically goes on to say, you need to be a person of faith and you need to continue to be faithful despite the hopelessness that you see around you. Now that's a word for us on this Memorial Day, right? Because it's been a tough week with the Valdi shooting right on the tails of the Buffalo shooting, right? It's been hard. Every one of us has been rocked by that. And it can feel really hopeless. And yet... God calls us to do the same thing that we should be doing every Memorial Day anyway, which is looking at this hopeless time, which are times of war are hopeless times, and to then become faithful in response to that hopelessness and to be one who um, honors the courage and the integrity and the sacrifice, right? And that is what our role is. So, that's what we are to do. And that's what um, we need to remember. Because what's happening now, it feels to me like, uh, everyone's locus of wanting things to change is outside of them, right? 
that people are all mad about everything else that's going on in the world and everyone else is supposed to make this stop. And really, (laughs) the hard part for me is, until you've done what is your responsibility as a citizen to actually be a part of the change that's required for our nation to change, you really have no right to criticize anyone else. You have the ability as a citizen to make your voice heard. That's the one thing that you can control. I get a little tired of all of the righteous indignation that I see on social media or coming out of people's mouths where where we are now is everyone else's fault but not mine. We are called to courage and sacrifice and a rant on social media is neither courage nor sacrifice. It's very self-serving. And we just plain need to be better than that. We need to be the change that we want to see in the world. I'll leave you with two stories that are seemingly very unrelated, but you'll see the connection eventually. The first is the story of Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie was Al Capone's lawyer. Um, Al Capone, you may remember, is a, was a mobster. He ruled Chicago with an iron fist. And talk about hopeless. Chicago in the 1920s was hopeless, right? Mob violence everywhere. Al Capone was, um, he was a mobster. He promoted prostitution and um, bootlegging. And he was infamous for the number of people he had murdered. He should have gone to prison so many times, but he had Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie always found a loophole, always got him out of it. Easy Eddie was the best lawyer money could buy. And he he was paid a lot. Easy Eddie lived in an estate that took up an entire block of the city of Chicago. He lived this opulent lifestyle, completely blinded to all of the atrocities that were happening around him that were, in many respects, his responsibility, right? Because he always kept Al Capone out of jail. The thing that Easy Eddie loved most in life was his son. He had this son that um, he gave everything to. He gave him you know, ponies and flying lessons and all this stuff, right? It was, it was just a big deal. He, he, he was really, he really just lived high off the profits that he had made from Al Capone. And he had a crisis conscience, so easy that he did. Because as his son grew, he realized that there were two things that he couldn't give his son. He could not give his son a good example or a good name. And that bothered him deeply. And finally, he couldn't take it anymore. So you know what he did? He just decided to change. He went to the authorities and he squealed on Al Capone. And it was a big deal. It was sacrificial. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice for it because not long after that, he was gunned down on a cold and dark Chicago street. But he gave his son an example and a good name. That's the first story. The second story is this guy, Butch O'Hare. You may recognize 
His name is the namesake for O'Hare Airport. And if you're ever in O'Hare Airport between Terminal 1 and Terminal 2, you can read all about him. You can see his medals of honor. He was a World War II war hero. He flew um, planes um, off of an aircraft carrier stationed outside of Japan. And he and his squadron were on one mission where they were going to fly and inflict damage on the island of Japan, the enemy. And when he got into the plane and went to fly, he was 25 years old. He was flying and he looked, and for some reason, some hiccup, somebody didn't check something, his plane had not been refueled fully, right? They'd forgotten to refuel his plane. And so then he was like, oh no. Um, So he radioed and said, hey, this is where I'm at and this is what it's up. And they were like, you need to come back. You're going to run out of fuel. So get back here kind of thing. And so he was like, okay. So he uh, peeled off of his squadron. He was flying back in pretty high altitude. And as he got close to the aircraft carriers, what he saw down below was flying below the radar was a squadron of Japanese fighter pilots. And they were headed right towards the fleet of aircraft carriers, which were pretty much defenseless because they had the planes all in the air. Without a word to anyone, he just dove. Butch O'Hare flew right into that squadron. He guns a blaring. He shot every round he had, downed five planes, even after um, he was out of bullets, taking on bullets. He, his uh, plane was uh, um, kind of dinged up and messed up. He would, he would fly. He would make himself into a gadfly. He just flew and made such chaos out of that squadron that eventually those Japanese fighters just all broke apart and headed back to the island of Japan. He limped his plane in, landed on the aircraft carrier, of course had to explain what happened and why the plane was so damaged. And they had a camera mounted on the plane, which had, I guess, captured and confirmed, captured the footage and confirmed. He was awarded the second highest honor in military history. And a few months later, he was killed while flying in combat in World War II. So what do these two stories have in common? Butch O'Hare is Easy Eddie's son. It is amazing what the example of sacrifice will do and the impact that it will have. On this Memorial Day weekend, Instead of turning it into Party Central, I mean, you're certainly allowed to have fun. But let us remember first and honor those who came before us, seeking to reflect on our sacrifice. You know, 1776 was a mess in our society. 1920s in Chicago was a mess in our society. We may look at this decade and say 2020s were a mess in our nation. But that still calls us to remember and honor the sacrifice of those who went before, who came out of those hard times and who lived through those hard times with faith, seeking to have courage and integrity and who got us through them by their self-sacrifice. 
It may be a mess now, but God calls each one of us to reflect on our sacrifice as well. I pray that you are able to do that. And I hope that you will have a blessed Memorial Day.